Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. in real trouble here, although they're lucky to get that loose ball. Gibbs with the thrust. Robert Jones... Nicely out to Emir Lewis. Emir Lewis is checking up. Goes Yayan Evans. Yayan Evans is away. Can the cap. Welsh captain make it. He's going to do it. And it's a try for Wales. And the Welsh captain has scored his eighth and his 33rd international. Welcome to another episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. It's just me and the mighty Murph this week, but... Uh, you know, who needs any more when you've got the, uh, the the man, the legend, the myth that is the Mighty Murph? How are you, Murph? Good, yeah. Pressure's on. Now I've got to do all the talking. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I, hopefully I'll be able to contribute a bit in there. But yeah, we're, sure. we're missing, you know. the, uh, missing the silky skills of Dan, of, uh, of Dan Killick. I can't, I can't pass it off at any stage. I've just, it's just me and you. There's no... That's it. Just you should have forced Justin Jones to come on. I did ask Justin George to come on. Actually, I um I did drop him a message earlier, um, and we're keen to re- we're keen to reunite uh, we're keen to reunite you with Justin. But um, yeah. yeah, unfortunately, he was too busy with uh, with work commitments tonight. So um so we uh, yeah we he wasn't available for selection. But uh, yeah, no, we're we're looking forward to getting that getting that line up on the go again, Murph. Yeah, I'm keen for that. I, I think I might send him some abusive messages. No. Or after the podcast, it'll probably be better. But uh, yeah, I was looking forward to that. Um, I yeah. miss him. Like he, can, he always comes back. Obviously, he doesn't live in Cardiff. Same as um, does anyone. Uh, <laughs> uh, he always comes back, for, like most people, comes back for the Wales-England game in Cardiff. And I missed him last time around. So I can't remember the last time I saw him now. Long time ago. So uh, Zoom, he didn't be all right. <clears throat> anyway, should we stick to rugby? <laughs> we'll stick to rugby. And uh, do you know what? That's a nice little segue in there because uh, I was I was really hoping to get him on because the Dragons beat the Ospreys, which um, oh, yeah, was yeah. a great opportunity for me to rub it in. But he was... Uh, that explains everything. It does, yeah. But he was very great. He was very gracious, uh, very gracious over WhatsApp as he uh, as he tends to be and, and wasn't rising to any of it. So fair play. Um, so yeah, things we are going to cover tonight, Murph. We are, of course, going to talk about the, uh, the Dragons victory. Um, and as you know, when the Dragons win, I tend to dedicate the whole podcast to, uh, to such things, but uh, I will try and rein it in a little bit this week. Uh, we're also going to talk a bit about the, uh, the Cardiff 
Blues slash Cardiff Rugby rebrand that's uh, created a lot of headlines this week. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the stories linking Alan Wynne Jones to a move to Japan uh, and what the likelihood of that is. And of course, we're going to look ahead to Wales versus Italy. Uh, out of those stories, Murph, anywhere you particularly want to start? Uh, I know what I don't want to start. Go on. <laughs> I don't really want to start on the rebrand. It's so tedious. Welsh rugby Twitter, you know, and Welsh rugby in general, you know, the politics is so tedious at times. Like, you know, oh God. Anyway, you, you choose. <laughs> well, I think, do you know what though? I think I, I think you're right, and I think you know we probably should start with that, and let's get the uh, let's get that let's get stuck into that because it is. No, that's I that's know, the one that I said I didn't want to start. Just now I know, but I just saw that I saw the you look. Know I said I don't want to start. <laughs> you did, but the look on your face and that I could just see there's there's a rant coming. So I've got I've got to keep. Yeah. Uh, I've got a bit like coming away at that. Yeah, get it out, get out the way early. Get the sprouts out the way early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eat the frog. Let's um, <laughs> let's go let's go with that. I mean, it's um because it is like. I, I don't know. Sometimes you think there's no madder place on earth than Welsh rugby Twitter. And, and, and I think that was probably backed up this week. Um, but I just want to stick, I just want to stick uh, my, um, uh, my thoughts on this very, very quickly. Cause so much is made about the, you know, the identity of these clubs and regions and whether they're clubs or their regions or whatever it is. But realistically, right. I, I think the only difference that is going to, that is going to happen off the back of this is the, is the change in the name. You know, the club is going to operate in the same way it's operated for the last, for the last 17 years. Uh, they will be playing in a slightly different kit with black on it rather than dark blue. Um, and I don't know. I mean, to me, largely speaking, they've, they've kind of always been, they've always been Cardiff rugby club, albeit, you know, a slightly different named version of it. And, you know, I know the whole, cause the whole thing for me, right. Is the, it probably is time for us to stop calling it regional rugby because they're not, you know, they're not regional clubs in the sense of them being merged old clubs, you know, Cardiff, Cardiff blues, Cardiff rugby, whatever they're going to be called, largely speaking is Cardiff, right? It's, it's that club that we, that we remember from the nineties. It's just, they're the, the, the professional version of it. Um, you know, playing in this, in this current age, the fact they've been running for 17 years. I mean, half the, half their side is full of, is full of lads from Ponty. You know, there's there's a load of players from there, and I think if you look yeah. at it from that inverted commas regional pathway thing, right? The the good players in Ponty are going on and playing for Cardiff now. That might well piss off lots of Ponty fans from yesteryear, but mm. I think that's that's the that's the reality. And I don't see I don't see anything that changing to be honest. No, uh, we can go over so much old ground with, with this. Mm topic you know like the Celtic Warriors and yeah when they went bust it was the opportunity for Pontypridd to step in and keep that franchise going and whatever but they happened to be at the time uh almost bankrupt so they couldn't uh, was it Leighton Samuel or someone yeah. who I, I remember that Celtic see we are going over old ground the Celtic Warriors are the best region in Wales when they started mm. when, when it started up and I actually went to watch him I, I rang up the phone number to buy tickets to go and watch him at the brewery field against Wasps in a Heineken Cup match and I'm almost sure I must have said this on the podcast before, but when you used to ring up, you get through to Leighton Samuel's double glazing receptionist to buy tickets for a European Cup game in 2004 or 2005, maybe whatever it was. And so then she'd see do all the blurb about double glazing, and then you say, "Oh no, sorry, I, I wanted tickets." Oh yeah, tickets is it? Yeah, here we go. And then you're, you're reading out your card number and all you think to this girl on the desk. 
and then you pick them up on the turnstiles of the brewery field on the night and that would be heaving and then you'd have to queue because the grounds i i don't know what the the, the logistics of it were but they didn't seem to have enough turnstiles every time you went there and when it, it was i mean it was a sellout so they had to delay kickoff and you got in there you watched really good game high quality game uh you know um delalio was playing for them and simon shaw and all them against gala thomas for the and getting jenkins and rob sadoli all playing for um uh, the celtic warriors and, and then following the season they're gone it was the best region we had uh, the opportunity was for the Pontypridd to step in, and they, they were unable to step in. So you know now that I don't know if it's re- revision, revisionist or not, but people say that the WIU wanted four all along, and they were happy for the the, the Celtic Warriors to go belly up and all this other stuff. But you know you have to with rugby, especially in Wales, you have to have a long memory to remember what it was actually like and what actually happened. Yeah. It just got mismanaged and died on its ass. As simple as that. But I mean, whether, whether they should have resurrected it for the sake of values rugby, I don't know. But the thing is, with Wales, it's so incredibly tribal mm. in all, in all, not just sport, in all aspects of existence in, in, in Wales. There, you, there was no solution that would be right. You couldn't get a right solution. Um, what you had to remember was we couldn't stay in the old system. Yeah. We couldn't, it was not affordable to stay with Neath, Everwhale, Pontypool, you know, you name them, all those clubs. They just couldn't afford to operate. There just wasn't enough money or fans or anything to go on. So we had, we had to cut professional rugby to, to less teams. And it was never, ever going to be, it was never, ever going to be perfect or please everyone or maybe please anyone. <laughs> but look, the, the Cardiff thing, which is the actual question, I, I don't, I mean, the thing is, if they if if they persevered with the Blues, it was it was separating them from all the history of the club yeah. and all the other nonsense. So it's just it's just I, I don't think it's that big a deal. People are you know might not like it or they might like it. I don't know if they're going to be on the same site as Cardiff, like at one stage during Cardiff City Stadium. Yeah, and if they that had been a permanent break, then you could say okay, it's the Cardiff Blues, you know. And, uh, but they're back on the same pitch in the same clubhouse with it, all the the all trophies are there from when they used to be Cardiff and, you know, it's just all in their history. So uh, the other thing, of course, is I think the Blues are taking over the running, or it looks like they're going to take over the running of the RFC. So then there's no, there's no distinction, is there? So I, I, I really struggle to get wound up about it. Now, I think the, uh, the thing like you've, you've covered there, the bit that links, I guess, the, those days and today is the, is the financial side of things, right? Is we're still looking for a solution that works from a financial perspective. And I think that, you know, I, I mean, look, I would, I would love to see, I'd love to see a pro side representing Valley's rugby. You know, it'd be, it'd be absolutely, it'd be absolutely superb, but yeah. the, you know, and, and imagine those, and imagine those games, you know, against, against Cardiff, you know, I mean, geez, that'd be, that would be absolutely something. Yeah. But that, you know, unfortunately that the same thing exists now, only more so is that, it's bloody expensive to, to run a rugby club, you know, and you look at all those clubs, all those clubs in England, most of them run at a loss. Um, and at some stage that's going to have to get fixed as well. And that's the, that's the position they find themselves in. And, you know, if, if moving to, to call in the club Cardiff rugby is going to, is going to attract more sponsors, which, you know, and I kind of work in that area. Um, it may, and it may not. Ultimately, I think it all comes down to what the, what the side does on the pitch. And, and I think that's the thing with all of it, you know, is it's because it's the, the club is, is now or will be called Cardiff again. It has brought up all of those, 
all of those issues from years gone by. And again, obviously, there's people saying, well, it's only a matter of time before the Dragons go to become Newport again. And for me, it's like, you know, if you called the club Newport again and they were wearing black and amber, yeah, all right, you might, and, you know, the, the turnstiles are open again, you might get a few extra bigger crowds down there for a bit. But make no mistake, you know, when you're watching them, when you're watching them get hammered every week, the, the, that novelty soon wears off. And so, you know, I don't think it's as straightforward as that. I do think the most important thing is is what the clubs, you know, what they're what they're able to do on the pitch. Success brings people through the through the doors, you know, and and, and if the clubs are successful and competitive, then you'll start to see better crowds. The marketing of it, it is important, but I would say more the reason that it's that it's important more so is the marketing of getting people interested in the club at a young age, generally interested in rugby at a young age, because that's going to be a difficult enough thing now in a, you know, a world, you know, the world we live in now, there's a lot more competition for attention than there ever was, than there ever was before. So that to me is, is the key crux of the issue. And I don't know, I'm as much as I, you know, as much as I loved watching Newport and, and seeing them in black and amber, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm in a massive hurry to see the Dragons rebranded as Newport necessarily, because I don't know. You know, if that side starts to become successful, um, which hopefully at some point they will, it's you know that that I think holds the key to the key to to it becoming a, a financial success rather than than simply trying to go back to what it was before, because it's not anyway. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm starting to think like we had. Uh, well, we had twenty. 20- six years of rugby being professional rugby union i think somewhere and right. I, as the l- longer t- time goes on the, the more i'm of the mind that professional rugby in wales uh, club level is terminal there's no there's no i don't think there's any scenario whatever anyone does whether it pleases people in different parts of the country or not i don't think there's any scenario where we're at the top table again at club level i think we're just going to go it's just my opinion i mean i, I Love to be wrong. Mm. I think it's just going to go the way of soccer, where you, you, now and again Cardiff can get in the Premiership, now and again Swansea can get in the Premiership, but they'll never be a top-table club like name insert English football team. Mm. And that's the way that's the way it's going because there's not enough money in Wales to support the big. I mean, for a rugby team, top-flight European rugby team, you're going to have forty highly paid, highly paid, or quite highly paid, most of them professional players in your squad you can't get through a season with much less than that some teams might but some some teams that need more you know start dipping into their academy and what have you and i don't think this area generates that kind of money you know benefactors could come in but they come and go um and 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 if the if the teams over the border are all running at a loss where, where it is unless they i mean if they if they started uh being sustainable Money-wise, we might have a chance, but I mean, at, at the moment, Leinster's uh, academy runs on nearly as much money as the whole of the Blues. So I, I don't. I I think we're just it, when it goes to when and if, if and when um, it goes to a British league, we'll just be a Division Two, Division Two country. Now and again, Cardiff or the Ospreys or whatever goes into the Premiership. Mm. Can't can't keep it up because they've got the money and ends up back in the Championship. I'm I'm in, I'm. I'm adding football terms onto a rugby topic, but I think yeah. I think that's the way it's going to go. Yeah, I mean the the only thing that uh, and that's really cheered me up, by the way, Murph. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> but the yeah. only th- the only thing. Well, I don't could... worry, 40, 40 points to twenty four. Don't worry about anything. <laughs> that's all you need to know. <laughs> uh, the only thing I could see that 
that you know could potentially change that and in you know again talk about covering old ground we've spoken about this on the podcast loads is the fact that there is in private investment coming into rugby at a grand scale right and you know we're not talking about individual benefactors here we're talking about venture capitalists like cvc and silver lake and these big companies who you know it's not just about you know they're not just coming into it to make it sustainable they're coming into it to make it a proper product and to make it scalable and 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 make serious money off it so if a british and irish league is their um intention which i don't know whether it is or not surely part of that has to be you know has to be a, a salary cap and again you know we always say oh the irish clubs would never agree to it they'd agree to it if they were if they weren't going to be in a, a british and irish league if if such a thing happens right if the if the the english clubs and the welsh clubs are on board there is no way that ireland are going to want to carry on playing in the the pro 14 maybe maybe the region maybe the the union might want to because of the way it benefits the the international side and the way they can rotate the players but if that's the case then then so be it because you know the the pro 14 16 18 24 rainbow cup division <laughs> eight consolation cup final whatever the hell it's called on a week by week basis is on you know is on borrowed time and so it either it either becomes a proper competition or it's a it becomes a ghost league. And so that you know, that is the only thing I could see of a force in the hand. And I don't know, you know, this this is the thing is if I the, the thing you've got with the Premier League, right, in football, is the money, you know, the money comes into the Premier League, but all the power is still with the clubs. So the Premier League do broadcast rights, but the power is all with the clubs. That's why you see these European breakaway. Uh, project big picture all of these things is that that the big four or the big six are desperate to go off and and try and make more money elsewhere if you have one force in cvc or someone equivalent holding all the cards well then they're not able to do that and so what you end up with or potentially end up with and again this is just my thoughts on it is you end up with them being able to to put a big marker down and, and call the shots as to how the sport is run and that way you can impose a salary cap you can impose things that will actually level level things out because it's in your interest to have a competition that anyone could win you don't want Leinster running away and you know there's eight games left in the season and Leinster have won the title it doesn't help anyone because then your broadcast money is you know they're paying for dead rubbers you want as many competitive fixtures and as many meaningful fixtures as you can possibly get. And so that's the only thing that I think gives me hope. And the other interesting thing is to watch what goes on at the Ospreys where they've had private investment come in and are looking to run that club in a very different way to how it's been run before. So I think they're the things that, I'm not saying they give me hope, but they're certainly things to watch and see that, that perhaps it's not quite the, because you're right, if it carries on the way it is, then it's toast. It's absolute toast. The, the Osprey is interesting because they've um, uh, got a guy on board from Manchester City, an executive right, in Manchester yeah. City. So, I mean, that that's kind of a, a bigger sign in than, than than the new coach or, or 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 Jack Morgan or anything like that. That's more significant than well, any I, of that news. Yeah, I think it is. And you know, you list there's there's some uh, other more intelligent podcasts than this one out there. Um, <laughs> not rugby ones. We're the most intelligent rugby one. <laughs> Um, you know, there's there's some interesting sports business podcasts out there, um, and you hear I can never remember the bugger's name, the new Swansea, uh, the new Ospreys guy. I can't remember his name. Yandel Davis, Yandel Davis. Um, 
and I've heard him speak on a few things and the, the ambition is, you know, is big uh, for what he wants to do, what he wants to do with the Ospreys. Um, and it's just, you know, it is now a question of whether you can pull it off and, you know, both, yeah, both, uh, you know, the Jack Morgan signing is big because I think he is the next, he is the next or potentially a, a real star for, mm. uh, for their man for Wales. But also you're right, you know, an appointment like that off the pitch is not a jobs for the boys Here's an ex-player getting a, getting a gig. This is a guy who recognises how global sports clubs are run. And Man City, yeah, of course, they've got all the money behind them. But the way that that is run, you know, with, um, you know, they've got a side in Melbourne, they've got a side in New York, they've got a side somewhere else. And it's that kind of global outlook on the game that I think, that you know, all the talk is from there that, that that's what they want to do. Um but obviously, to get that right, you've got to get the nuts and bolts right in in Southwest Wales. Well, I, I was just going to say, global is a is a bit optimistic at the moment with any region in Wales just running it properly, mm. <laughs> really competently run by someone who's done it on a massive level as well. You know, like top of the Premiership kind of level. That yeah. would be a change, I think. Not not wishing to you know pour scorn over all the people that run the, the regions in Wales, but to have someone that experienced in doing it because like you say sometimes it's just uh, an ex-player who had a module of his degree was on sports management or something you know what I mean that kind of thing just because you know he's one of the boys yeah. this is guys I don't know if he's got any rugby contact at all but he's got or, or experience or knowledge or whatever but he, he is the business guy the sports business guy therefore yeah. he's going to do he's going to know his way around a boardroom, at least, if even if he doesn't know the way around the pitch. Yeah, no, exactly, and and that's it. In a way, you kind of don't want him to know his way around the pitch. You know, you want him to be concentrated on on off the field matters, and I think that's that's the that's the interesting bit. And again, um, you know, the new uh, the new regime at the Ospreys, it's you know, it's a sports marketing, sports management business that uh, that is running them. It's not like it's you know, like we say, it's not Leighton Samuels coming in with double glazing money. It's someone who knows sports business rather than than. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that story's tickled me. I'm just, I'm just thinking. Anyone you know old enough will know that if you wanted to buy a ticket over the phone, you had to speak to the receptionist. I can't remember the name of the double glazing firm now. Is it Deco Frame or something? I bet you it is a. There's someone on Twitter knows, or one of the listeners, Deco Frame. I think they were called. Yeah, and you you had to buy rugby tickets off the girl on the desk. <laughs> well, there we go. So yeah, it's such I, a Welsh I, rugby story, isn't it? Yeah, I know it's, it's <laughs> it is brilliant. I just yeah, I like the, I like just like the thought of you know bringing up to renew your season ticket and ending up with some great big <laughs> yeah. some new front door with a multi-point locking system on it. Yeah, being but, delivered. Uh, yeah, instead of the yeah, yeah, I like it. <laughs> right well look we've got we've got lots of other stuff to get through but i thought you i thought you did very well there considering thanks, you, didn't want, you didn't yeah. want to talk about it um, yeah, I, I don't want to talk about rugby politics thanks uh, well yeah we're gonna we'll leave the rugby politics bit there for the uh for the time being what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break coming up after the break uh i caught up earlier with gareth davis of the cardiff blues visually impaired rugby club uh and so coming up after the break is my chat with him Really, really fascinating, actually, to hear about uh, about the growth of that form of the game and and how quickly it's it's growing and how, how keen the side are to get back playing uh, once uh, once all the lockdown stuff is uh, is out of the way. So stay tuned for that. And then afterwards, we're going to be talking about the Dragons' victory and uh, hopefully Murph and I are going to be a bit cheerier when we look ahead <laughs> to, uh, to to leg four of the Grand Slam. But first, we're going to have this quick break. <laughs> 
welcome back to the Attacking Scrum podcast. Delighted to say I'm joined by Gareth Davis of the Cardiff Blues Visually Impaired Rugby Side. How are you, Gareth? I'm very well, thank you, Jess. All good, thanks. Fantastic. I mean, we, uh, as you can imagine, on this week's podcast, we're concentrating quite a bit on uh, on Cardiff or um, <laughs> what is the Cardiff Blues. How's uh, how's that going to feed into uh, how's that going to feed into you guys at the uh, at the Visually Impaired Side? In terms of like the, the, the changes re-brand. in the oh, it will just that's all it will be. It's just yeah. a change in the name. Uh, and to me that's all it is yeah. <laughs> fantastic um yeah i'm really keen to to understand really how um how visually impaired rugby works and uh yeah it'd be great if you could explain uh, a bit more for our listeners yeah exactly how the, exactly how the game works okay well um perhaps the easiest way of describing what visually impaired rugby looks like is just to imagine sevens um but with passive scrums and passive lineouts that is visually impaired rugby played by people who just see a bit differently it's as simple as that and it's been deliberately kept as kept as close to mainstream rugby as possible um for people like myself who are registered blind um we want to be ex-rugby players we want to play rugby um and also people who are new to the game you know that's what they've seen growing up um and so really we've uh, we've kept it as close to, to mainstream rugby as possible Fantastic. And how long has the uh, how long has the club been running uh, in Cardiff? Um, well, just over a year, well, more than a year now, uh, probably about a year and a half uh, in Cardiff. Obviously, lockdown really came, you, you know, uh, put the put the brakes on everything. Um, but visually impaired rugby itself um, really sort of stemmed from uh, an, an organisation in London called the Change Foundation. Uh, they created um, visually impaired rugby about three four years ago. Um, and they were working with the Harlequins Foundation down there. Um, so it's been going for a few years in England, um, but this is the first team in Wales to have been really, um, you know, set up properly. And are you, the, are you the only side in Wales at the moment, or is it, uh, you know, is it is it something that's in the process of other sides, other sides getting yeah, up? Yeah, at the moment. But um, the Ospreys are getting the team um, going through their community foundation. Um, that's they're hoping to have that up and running by the end of the summer, or the first, you know, first few training sessions. Uh, and then there's also plans for a team in North Wales that covers the RGC um, region. Mm. Um, that'll probably be based somewhere like Wrexham. Um, but yeah, so there'll be three teams, North, um, East and West. So, uh, yeah. And, and how, many, how, many games, uh, how many games have you kind of got under your belt? And how many games, I guess, are you, are you hoping to get underway when, when things go back to being a bit more normal? How many games would you, you, know, would you like to uh, get in? Again, like to play the same sort of schedule as um, any other rugby team. As I say, we're just rugby players, a rugby club. We just um, see differently. Um, so yeah. we didn't have, we've not had any games yet with the Blues. Uh, we've got some games in the pipeline. Uh, we're waiting for those to be confirmed. Again, when we're playing against um, just some, uh, like you know, I, t- I use it to mainstream sevens teams. So we're looking at playing a couple yeah. of those in July in uh, Cardiff Arms Park. And we're also really keen to get fixtures against um, any other clubs that may be interested. Um, I've played a few games myself. Um, I was lucky enough to get selected for the England visually impaired team. Uh, we went off to Japan as part of the Rugby World Cup a couple of years ago. Played against the Japanese there and uh, won the three tests. So um, it's be great to get some games back now in Cardiff. Yeah, and how is how is the sport growing as as like a, a across the world? Is it is it a sport that's that's got take up in particular countries? Yeah, it's it's really interesting actually. Um, so closer to home, the Irish Rugby Football Union have just um, uh, done a, a survey into it, 
um, some research into it, and they'll be setting up teams. It looks like in um, you know across Ireland, uh, based on the uh, again the um, I don't think they call them regions, but um, you know the the likes of Ulster oh, provinces. provinces that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, so Wales, England. There's talks with T- uh, Scotland, um, Japan, New Zealand. I think there's about eleven teams over there. Um, Italy as well. Um, there's teams looking to be run out of Benetton. So it's something that's really growing um, quite quickly, you know, in, in a short space of time because there's so many people like ourselves who love rugby, but now a format for has been created for people with vision impairment. So it's it's a sport that's growing really quickly. I suppose the more, yeah, the more it's, it's played across the world, the more people will become familiar with it, whether you're playing or you're just like me learning about it, the more it becomes like a... Um, yeah, it becomes established, then, you know, word starts to spread and hopefully more teams will be will be springing up alongside and that's that. That's it, absolutely. I think it's the same with, you know, anything that, that is new. It does take time to get the word out there. Um, but then if you look at, like, deaf rugby, um, you know, that's been going about 20 years, started off very much like we have, but now that's, you know, a really sort of consolidated game around the world. Um, so, yeah, so no, and, and the likes of wheelchair rugby, you know, things that have, Mixed ability rugby, you know, they only started, you know, over in the last, you know, again, 10, 15, 20 years. So um, we're, we're, we're the next on that conveyor belt, really. Do you think that, um, do you think that the interruption of, of COVID has kind of, has, has really put the brakes on or do you think it's going to pick up just as, just as the game was growing beforehand? Oh, it'll definitely pick up just as it has, as it was. Um, East, like with many sports, um, it's given people time to really sort of get their plans in place um to really sort of think things through um so that there's real concrete plans in place and certainly speaking just as the club the Cardiff Blues you know we've really sort of kept well connected with the team um so we're just literally raring to go um so I think we work about the blocks pretty pretty quickly really yeah, I bet. And how did the how did the actual the, the Cardiff Blues team kind of come into come into fruition? Was it something that was led by the club, or was it something that was that was your idea or or a group of you? Yeah, again, it was um, back to the Change Foundation. Um, they approached uh, Cardiff Blues, like I say, about eighteen months, nearly two years ago. Um, they were keen to to give it a go, um, so they worked the Cardiff Blues then worked closely with um, RNIB Cymru um, to put the word out there, and we ended up with about. On that day, there's about 20 visually impaired people at Cardiff Farms Park trying out um, uh, visually impaired rugby for the first time. And really, I have to say as well, the, the Blues themselves have just absolutely taken it uh, you know, under their wing um, and they've really made us feel part of the club. You know, Some days we're training on Tuesday nights and we'll have us down one end of the pitch and then the elite team at the other practicing their lineouts. And if ever you want to see a level playing field in sport in terms of inclusion, that is it right there. Well, I think that's it, though. It's amazing, isn't it? Because I think it's very easy to look at um, to look at elite sport, and sometimes you see the you know you see the athletes as I don't know almost untouchable. But that that kind of does make it really feel like a club environment that you know that, that any one of us would have experienced around rugby clubs up and down the country. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know. And it's great for the guys like themselves. We're there training. You've got drones flying above you, you know, because they obviously film their their moves and all the rest of it. But also, I think it's just a really important just reminder for life in general because anyone can lose their sight at any time. You know, some of the, the people I've played with went to bed one night with a headache and they had a stroke in their sleep in their 30s. 
lost their sight, you know. So even so, my point is, you know, you, yeah. you might have elite players on the same pitch, but the reason we play visually impaired rugby, you know, that can happen to anybody. So it's good. It's really important we've got a game there for people as and when that does happen. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating, and it's so good that. Um... Yeah, I think the thing that's so encouraging is the the rate of the rate of take up. Like you say, there's more mm. and more clubs, um, more and more clubs uh, springing up up and down the country, and, and yeah, really hope that um, that that's that that's going to continue. And I suppose how how do people get involved? That's the that's probably the the main question that people will, will want to know. Okay, um, through well, there's, there's kind of like two ways really through our um, following the the car the blues vi rugby on twitter um you can just direct directly message us or you can get in touch with the cardiff blues foundation um or if you're in england or any other part of the uk listening to this if you contact the change foundation just look them up um they've got um you know a really good vi rugby website um and just contact them um through that and what is because again obviously you mentioned the change foundation a few times and uh you know it's clear that they're obviously doing a they're doing a lot of work with, with VI rugby, but what's their what's their kind of overall? Um, I guess their overall purpose. Um, okay, so they've been going around sort of 30, 40 years. They started off. Uh, they do a lot of things um, to engage young people who are um, you know, having different sort of challenges in life, and they do a lot of things around street games in London. Um, they do sort of different sporting things all around the world. Um, they started off the um, blind cricket about 20, 30 years ago. Um, so they're really like a sport-based charity that is there to engage uh, groups of people who may have different challenges um, than, 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 than most people do. We've got to ask you the big question there, Gareth. I mean, you mentioned there that, that you played that you played for England. Now, with a name like Gareth Davis and living in and living in Cardiff, uh, you know, there, there's got to there's got to have been a, a degree of difficulty pulling on pulling on the red rose. Well, uh, I grew up in England, so that was the reason <laughs> I was able to play. And I couldn't help where I was born. Um, and to be honest, two weeks in Japan, all expenses paid. I'd, I'd play for North <laughs> Korea if they offered me a bit about that, that sort of thing. But no, it's just a wonderful opportunity to to travel and promote the sport. Yeah, tell us I'm, more. I, I'm a through and through Welsh, Welshman, though. I have to yeah. say. Tell, tell <laughs> us, tell us more about the uh, tell us more about the experience, though, because it must have been yeah, it must have been a hell of a a hell of a fortnight. It was just phenomenal. I mean, um, you know, just the whole sort of build up to it, you know, getting selected because that was a real tough process. It was actually taken, it actually happened in Guildford in the sports village down there, um, part of the university campus. That's where, that's where Harlequins are based, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, just go in there. Um, yeah, phenomenal. I mean, we had things like a, not um, a tsunami, but, um, you know, typhoon to deal with, just. Japan itself I've got to say that's probably the most friendly people that I've ever come across yeah. as a culture as a as a nation just just really incredible with the World Cup going on at the same time it was just an absolute privilege and a, a once in a lifetime opportunity to not just go as a tourist but to go there with a the purpose of playing rugby and, and, and with a view to winning as well as all the, the you know the amazing social side of it as well. Good stuff. And then just to finish, Gareth, let's get let's get your thoughts on um, on the Wales national side because uh, you know we obviously we've been covering this for a number of weeks, but the most the most unlikely of of triple crowns has has kind of turned up. And obviously we were chatting about this a bit while um, while we were arranging a date for you to come on the podcast. What do you think? Uh, what do you think for the next uh, for the next couple of games? Do you think the uh, do you think the slam is on? 
Oh, it's definitely on. Uh, uh, yeah, most definitely. And that's been objective as well, not just being that. Uh, at least I am probably the most um, legitimate one-eyed Welshman ever, because <laughs> like, you know, that's literally what I've got. Um, but no, uh, in terms of performance-wise, I think Italy will be you know, pretty straightforward. It is a bit of a cliche. You don't know what the French are going to, you know, what side will turn up, but most definitely it's, it's doable. Uh, and I think there's real confidence in, in the, in the, in the squad there. Yeah, no, well, again, it's, yeah, it's taken, it's taken um, us completely by surprise, but mm. no, no shortage of excitement around it. Well, look, thanks, no, so, thanks so much for joining us on, uh, on the attacking scrum. Pleasure. And uh, yeah, just as, uh, as a reminder to the audience, if they want to get involved, um, you can do so uh, on Twitter. We will tweet out uh, the link as well. So, um, so you can get in touch directly with Gareth on there. And you can also look at the, uh, at the Change Foundation as well um, if you want to get involved there. But thanks so much for explaining a bit more, Gareth. It's been, uh, it's been fantastic having you on. Big thanks there to Gareth Davis for uh, for joining us. Really enjoyed uh, really enjoyed that chat, and best of luck to them when they do get back out on the pitch. Right, Murph. Time then for us to talk about. Right, what do you what do you want to talk about now? I, I will give you the choice, and I won't actually uh, throw you under the bus here. Um, <laughs> so you can either you can either talk about the uh, the Dragons win. We can talk about uh, next week's next week's Wales fixture. Uh, we can talk about these rumours of Alan Wynne Jones going to uh, Japan. Uh, or we can take some listeners' questions. What do you fancy? Uh, I was going to say we should probably save the best till last, which is selection for next week. I would say the best, the best, the juicy bit. The juicy bit. Save, save that till last, and then uh, whatever order you want the rest in. Um, I, when, when we get to the selection bit, I want to touch on some of the boys who've had to play this weekend. Because mm. that's, I think there's a similarly big depressing story coming for Welsh rugby in, in that regard as well. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And we're definitely going to cover that. We've had a couple of questions come in in relation to, uh, to player workload as well, in particular with relation to the, um, the selection for next week. So yeah, we're definitely going to, we're definitely going to have a look at that. Let's talk about the Dragons then, because I've been desperate to do it, Murph. Um, <laughs> I was genuinely, and again, I know, right, I'm going to start this because sometimes I'm worried about coming across like a Dragons apologist. And I'm going to start this by saying, because we didn't cover it on last week's pod because of the England game, but they were bloody awful against Zebra. Like, you know, to the point where I, I just thought, oh, God, you know, all the stuff where I felt like they'd been moving in the right direction felt like it was coming undone um, by watching that game. Because, you know, a Zebra side, shorn of its internationals, should not be a difficult side to be competitive with. Um, but that said... I thought I was really, really impressed with that victory over the Ospreys. I really was. I thought yeah. for the first time in a long time, there was some, not just like, oh, you know, we were good in good in places. I thought they, they weathered the storm early on after a couple of mistakes, kept themselves in the game. Game management was good. Uh, we were saying before the microphones, uh, before we turned the microphones on, the back row was out, completely outplayed the Ospreys' back row. And there were some some glimpses behind the scrum of rather than just let's let's give it to Jamie Roberts and, and, and try and smash it over the game line. There was some nice some nice moves and some some great line breaks and you know and uh, and a load of tries. So there was lots in there to to be to be happy about. I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, compared to you know some of the midwinter games you get on SRC in the 
pouring rain. It was a really nice surface. Up at the, funny enough, we just talked about the brewery field earlier on when we read the pitch is in excellent condition. I mean, I would imagine every pitch in the country is in excellent condition because yeah. no one's no one's played on that in a year. With the exception uh, of the parade. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, amateur, so amateur level then, should we yeah. say. Um, yeah, really good surface and it showed because bo both uh, Dragon's wingers got two tries. Um, and like I said earlier on, I said to you off here, earlier on in the game when they, they looked like they were going to get beat, I, I just kept looking at their team sheet thinking, well, this side's much, got much more in it than they're showing at the moment. And mm. thankfully for you, they, they did show what they got. Uh, it's great to see Ross Moriarty on the pitch. I don't know, it's for three months or something he's been out. Been a long, and and even before that, it was you know it's been he hasn't had a long run of games for a very very long time. You know, no, it's no. been it's all been broken up by injury, hasn't it? Yeah, and the other one who caught my eye outside of the ones you've mentioned, uh, I don't know if I was not paying attention, but the Argentinian scrum half. And did yeah. he turn? He turned up. Uh, he turned up about a month. Well, not even a month. About three weeks ago, I oh, think. Oh, that's that's why I missed it. Then, yeah, it yeah. Was, swapping. Yeah. He was. He made his debut last week against Zebra and mm. was awful. He had a stinker of a game, but was obviously yeah. just getting used to it. But he, um, yeah, I mean, particularly um, towards the end of the first half and the, and the start of the second half, he made a massive impact on the game. Yeah, live wire and takes a lot of the pressure off Roger Williams as well because you know um, he's carrying a lot of the you know duties there. Yeah. Long, so. yeah, I think just having that experience there, you know, having someone who's got 28 international caps mm. and yeah, being able to call upon that to rotate the two of them. But also, like I was saying to you before we came on air, bringing Roddy Williams off the bench is making a big impact. And actually, he made a big impact against Zebra off the bench. You know, the game was done and dusted when when uh, when he came on against Zebra, but he made a big, big impact. And I think that does. Do you know what? It's really nice to see him having that that um that level of freedom when he comes on because so often it's been the box kicking role that he's been doing for 60 minutes and then getting subbed off and Baldwin mm. or Noyle coming on. But mm. I think actually seeing him come on when the game's starting to break up and be able to to be sniping around the fringes and throwing some big passes and mm. and adding some tempo, I think actually it suits his game a lot better in my opinion. Yeah and I always thought you know when when he was um under 20s level when that side with him and Sam Davis and a few of the others got to the Cup World Cup final in the 20th World Cup final. One of his big strengths was closing out games. Yeah. You know, if, if if his side was a handful of points in front with a few minutes to go, he would just he would just keep him pinned in the corner. It's one of one of his strengths. So you know, coming off after 60 minutes all the time, he's never not that he was ever in front very often. But he was ever, wasn't getting the opportunity to close out games, which is one of his strengths, if you know what I mean. So um, yeah, it's good. Good. good I mean. Obviously, depth in any side helps. Yeah, uh, that's international quality depth, you know. Yeah, it is, and I think that you know the yeah. Obviously, it's an interesting move swapping Malbec for Malpus, but um, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, I think he's yeah, he, he certainly made a big impact in um, in that game. But I think that the key for the for the Dragons overall, is, is, is that one of your lines, Sal? <laughs> you just come up with that because that's really good. <laughs> now I think I stole that from. Uh, from from my mate Ollie, who works uh, who works for the Dragons, I gave oh, that's him, okay. I gave him one that wasn't <laughs> quite as good as that. I think I said, oh, because he he told me that he'd been quarantining in the, in Miami 
the, the scrum half had, had been in Miami and then had to come yeah. over and quarantine and stuff. And I said, swap in Miami for Mandy. And he said, <laughs> he said Malbec for Malpas. So uh, I should have just taken the credit. I don't know what I was well, doing. That's, is, this, is this wrong? Because Malbec, they don't do Mal- Malbec in Miami. They do Malbec in Argentina. No, but he is from Argentina. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. it's, a lot, it's a lot better. Your history, it, it wasn't as funny, but it was more geographically accurate. So. <laughs> I know, we're, ventur- we're venturing dangerously into Alan Partridge's territory. And Dan, <laughs> and Dan Killick normally does that for us. <laughs> we'll, uh, yeah. we'll, leave, we'll leave that there. Yeah, let's but, move on quickly. Let's move on. But the thing, the thing is, is that, you know, it's now, it's now about backing it up. If they played like that every week, even if they didn't win, but played with that level of that level of intensity and um, uh, and I think just the competitiveness of being in the game, at, you know, throughout the entire fixture, um, I think that you know that would that would win a lot of people over. So I'm just hoping they're able to to back it up now with with a few more um, a few more performances like that on the spin. I mean, the, I don't think we talked about it the week that they played Leinster because uh, again, it's in the middle of international rugby, but. You know, I was so frustrated when they kicked the ball out at the end with the opportunity. Yeah, you know, we've got a losing bonus point, but, you know, a losing bonus point when you've got nothing to play for in the league. Just oh, right, yeah, yeah. Me. And it's just like, you know, fine, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe the players were knackered and there was nothing, nothing yeah. left. I just thought, I'll just roll the dice because imagine if you'd have pulled off a win against Leinster against the odds, you know, albeit... Yeah, but it, yeah it, it, I think if you're on the pitch and you can feel your team feels a bit flat, though. Uh, and you 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 run it and then uh, end up turning over and, and losing the losing the losing bonus point. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's quite pragmatic of where. I mean, if it was another team other than Leinster, mm. you could maybe say shut up and get on with it. But up against Leinster, you're likely to, you, you you run it, get outnumbered or whatever, turned over and be under your post a couple of phases later. So I know, but what does what does a losing bonus point mean in this joke of a season, you know, in this joke <laughs> when you yeah. put, if you put it like that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But again, you know, look, if it had been if it had been at the start of the season or the start of a normal season, then I said, yeah, all right, fine, totally losing bonus point. It's Leinster, mm. you know, that's that's it. We'd have taken that before the start of the game. I just thought that just roll the dice. If you know, no one cares if you get turned over and you lose it. I think it just would have mm. anyway. And this, we're going over old ground, but anyway, it was a, a, a morale boosting win. Certainly perked my weekend up. Um, let's have a quick chat about Alan Wynne Jones because this was one of the listeners' questions. I think this came in from uh, uh, from Peter Ellison and said, "What's all this about Alan Wynne Jones been uh, moving to Japan?" Uh, I mean, I think it's I think it's quite simple. He's out of contract and he's yeah. thirty five years old and. If you were in Japan looking to, you know, looking to add a few more um, star names to to this fledgling league, you know, he'd be right at the top of the list, wouldn't he? And I don't know. I'll be intrigued. I'll be intrigued to see because, you know, in the past, he's, you know, he's turned down, he's turned down moves, um, even though he's well over the, you know, the, the he's, he's twice over the 60 cap limit um, <laughs> yeah. so that's never been an issue so even if he wanted to carry on playing for Wales he could you know he could move he could move away if he wanted to um what do you reckon would you know is this just a bit of you know a bit of um transfer rumors or do you reckon there's any truth in it um well these situations it's always a possibility that the rumor has come from his agent of course who's then trying to force up what he's asking for from the Ospreys and the WIU yeah um but I did read I don't know who it was now I'm not I, Never, it was really interesting, but I can't remember who said it. Someone, uh, I, I think it was on Twitter or maybe it was in the rugby paper or something, talking about the Japanese league. I don't know what they call it. What do they call that? 
it is called anyway becoming like the ipl in cricket yeah where there's so much money that the rest of the sport worldwide having to it just has to bend to its will like the the the, the top international players from every nation are given uh, what six weeks is it off or some mm. two months off to go and play in the ipl because it's just too much money involved and they, they there's nothing they, they can't compete with it and the ip uh, the japanese league the top league it's called by the way top league is people like uh who's there at the moment bogan barrett or someone it, apparently he's there for three months and he's making about seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds so i mean uh, I mean, they have, in fairness, they have arrangements with the All Blacks where they, they finish a World Cup, they go and cash in for a couple of seasons yeah. and then come back ready for the cycle of the next World Cup to start and, and work it that way. But, um, I mean, Hadley Parks has been playing well over there, apparently. I don't know what kind of money he's on. It's a retirement job for him. Yeah, and, so, you know, as, as it will be for quite a few players because it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a good... But if the, money keeps, if the money keeps going, if, if it gets more popular and therefore there's more money in it... The, the, English and French clubs won't compete. I think it's, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the, the two sporting analogies that you can look at, one is the IPL. And like you say, it's just become so, so dominant, but also has a big effect on, um, you know, you look at some of those, those players who play for England now, pre-IPL and pre the emergence of T20, you know, there's no way that the, the English county cricket system would have produced players like that. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you know, again, I remember growing up watching, you know, Mike Atherton play one day international cricket. You know, mm. the, the thought of that now is, yeah, know, yeah. is unimaginable. Uh, so the impact that it's had, um, you know, likewise, players going, going and playing in France and, you know, and, and playing elsewhere outside of playing in the Pro 14. I think it has, you know, it has had a big effect on certain players' careers. Um, so it could have that as well. But I suppose the other the other analogy is if it doesn't quite take off, it becomes a bit like the MLS in football, where, <laughs> where like you say, people go out there for a um, for a good jaunt at the end of their career, pick up, you know, pick up 20 times more what most of the, the other players in the in the squad are on. Mm. And um, isn't that a nice little way to finish? Yeah. Well, when, whenever I see clips of the um, top league, it looks like touch rugby half the time. Mm. So I don't know how tough it is in relation to top 14 or Gallagher Premiership or any of the games over here. But like going back to what you said about MLS, that's normally for players who legs, whose legs are gone. Yeah. Like uh, Wayne Rooney. uh, Wayne Rooney's legs were short. Yeah, Frank Lampard, all of them, yeah. All their their pace, whatever amount they had was gone and they were just over there, you know, just having one last payday well that's that's what i mean is it could you know at the moment i kind of think that's what japan is yeah but not not for not for uh brody retallic no no no, no not no. for um snyman is it snyman the bloody giant south african he's over there as well um so we you know there is an element of that you know Halley parks is you know cashed in his chips kind of thing uh but some are, some are actually in their prime and going and cashing and going, then going back to their uh, uh, nation, original nation. Like so, yeah. I don't know. It'd be interesting because if the money keeps going up, it, it, it's unavoidable that yeah. it's going to get to be a, you know a thing. So um, it's one to it's one to watch, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I think it's um, yeah to bring it back to to bring it back to Alan Wynne Jones. You know, no one would deny him a uh, a good a good. Um, 
farewell out there on a on a good old salary. You know, yeah. God knows if anyone. Yeah, I hope they pay him stupid money. I mean, we've covered him recently because of the Lions, and it turns out they've 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 uh, turned down the Australian mm. offer and all that stuff. And I was saying that the the, the pandemic break would have done uh, Alan Wayne power of good because he's probably the most rest he's had since youth rugby. Um, and it would freshen him up because of his age and get him through to, you know, possibly through this tour. And if it gets delayed a year, it might be a year or two late for him and all this. But the other thing I didn't see is if he if he goes and if he's in the test team as well, he goes from being uh, like obviously our, the Welsh, you know, mm-hmm. top second row, top player, whatever. He, he then moves from that Welsh local idea into Willie John McBride yeah. territory where every... Every nation and every country around the world has to just recognise that the guy's been one of the best players in the world for what, 15 years, 16, 15 yeah. years. Like, because when you uh, when Gethin Jenkins retired, he had done three tours on the bounce and been on the test team for most of both most of those three tours, and the only one, and, and then you know. He got, he, got in, he got injured in 13, didn't he? He had that car. Yeah, and, and, and one tour, he didn't start his first choice, but he ended up his first choice. I think it was South Africa. Yeah, that was South Africa, but he featured yeah. in all, I think he featured in yeah. all the tests. Or, until then when he retires, obviously, uh, as, as we're prone to do it in Wales, we say he's the best prop we've ever had. Uh, but Graham Price did exactly the same thing as well. In, in late 70s, early 80s, he, he went straight through three tours and he was first choice in every one. And um, obviously different side of the scrum, but still Welsh prop. And all that, but this if Alan Wynne Jones pulls this off, which he, if if the tour happens and he on current form, he's, he'd be in the he'd be in the 23 at least. Then then you have to compare him to. Yeah, you're right with the Willie John. No Welsh player has ever done in terms of in terms of that longevity and and uh, and appearances. So it is properly in you know like if you look at Willie John McBride's record he's he, I think his first tour is like 1962 yeah his last one's in the mid 70s 74 or maybe even later and he, and he was asked to go there was a there was another tour he, the, the last the, the one after the he was asked to go on that one and he said no I'm too old but they still wanted him to go so I re, I think it was a book the lion's road or something they wanted him to go anyway on the last tour he said no I'm too old so uh, it's in that he, he moves into that territory if he comes off this season Alan Wynn. And to do that in a in a in the professional era, yeah, is, exactly, is mad. You know that is absolutely mad stuff. And you know, I had to be I had to be honest. You know, you would have watched the autumn. I thought, oh, you know, is he? You know, is he starting to starting to feel it a bit more? You know, is his body able to is his body able to keep up at that level of intensity that he's that he's done it? But I mean, he's been outstanding in the Six Nations. And yeah. you know, if if the Test matches were played tomorrow, he'd be starting. Yeah, he, he just he just must be. Harder than normal people, because he, t- he doesn't even get injured. He doesn't, he doesn't like strain, you know, s- strain his ankle or, or do anything that normal people, normal rugby players, anyone does if, when they put their body in that position all the time. He just, just, he's impervious to it all. He just keeps on going. It's unreal, absolutely unreal. Let's just let's just finish on Alan and Jones because he did have this one in from John Davis as well. Uh, could he realistically make it to another World Cup and be effective? Well, I, I would have discounted him from going after the last World Cup. I would say, well, he'd probably, probably retire. May, I said, he'd probably retire in, in my mind. And maybe maybe if he's lucky, he'd make the Lions. But uh, you just can't, can't doubt him, can you? I mean, 
there's certainly like if there was a situation where there was loads of good young second rows coming through mm. then you could say maybe he, he wouldn't be able to do it but there's no, there's no sign of any great second row that we got you know a couple knocking around but nothing outstanding coming through so there's no reason at the moment like it's him and whoever's alongside him for Wales yeah. you're going to pick Alan Jones and then whoever's in form is going to be alongside him so I don't I, I wouldn't I mean it's it's you, you couldn't do it as a winger. No. Although Brian Lemer is Brian Lemer is the record holder, isn't he, for the most World Cups? And that that is, is yeah, that is Alan Wynne Jones. If he goes to the next World Cup, will will level with him on five World Cups. Lemer did five then, did he? Yeah, but I don't know how much running he was doing in the last World Cup. And um, but anyway, in Alan Wynne Jones' position, yeah. you can get away with that as so long as you're still strong and you know fit. Uh, pace is not going to be a massive issue. So. I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt him. I, I you know, anything's possible with it, with that guy. I, I just, who knows? Who knows? All right. Well, let's let's have a look forward to to next week where he is. You know, I suppose I suppose it's one of those questions: Will he be involved? Would you pick him? Um, but let's let's have a look at selection for for next uh, for next week's game. Uh, we had this question in from the Welsh Dragon after playing eighty minutes in both break weeks. For Bath, should Pivac rest Toby Falatau versus Italy so he's fresh against France, or is it not worth taking the risks? Uh, definitely rest him. That's one of the things I wanted to bring up was the uh, English-based players because it's not, uh, as he correctly states, Falatau's played both gap weeks without coming off. Mm. And he played the, the weekend before the Six Nations, he played uh, 70 minutes almost off the bench. Um, so he must be, he's got to be tired and I would rest him. And the, the, big, the bigger picture I, want, I was alluding to earlier is, because it's not just that, like you would normally with me, you would think it was just my Welshman's chip. But it is actually this weekend, Johnny Gray had to play, Stuart Hogg had to play. Mm-hmm. Will Rowland's played, but then he's not in our 23 or he wasn't last week, so it's not too important. Uh, I don't think Lurie Samet played. That, importantly, Dan Bigger didn't play. So Callum Sheedy did though, um, but as time goes on, you know we've just covered the the future of professional rugby in Wales. As time goes on, we might end up with more Welsh players over the border. We might end up with more Scottish players over the border, depending on how the things develop. But at what point? And I should state again, in reference to my Welshman's chip, it works. It does work both 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 ways slightly because. Blade Thompson played for Thalethley the week before the Six Nations. Yeah. And, you know, if he was well, she would have been rested. But in, in our defence, like he's not first choice anymore. I don't think he even makes a match day squad in Scotland at the moment. So it does work both ways, but it mainly works the way of the, the rich neighbour, if you know what I mean, being England. Yeah. So if time goes on and it gets more prevalent, which it could do, at what point does it become anti-competitive for the tournament? If the big neighbour rests all their players every time there's a gap, mm-hmm. and Scotland's two best players, arguably, well, Finn Russell would have played in France this weekend. I, th- I didn't double check, but I think he, he he played the other gap, the other gap week. Uh, and our like the, for us, the type of players that go over the border are very key ones, like mm. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. eight and ten. Yeah, big, um, yeah, exactly. Bigger Falata, yeah. the yeah, the big name, big name yeah. players, you know. Backbone of our side for seasons on end. Um, 
So at what point does that become anti-competitive for the tournament? And at what point does the Six Nations as an organization say to the, not the RFU, but the professional body of the clubs and say, well, you, you, because they get paid to rest English players. That's how it works. The, yep. the, the RFU pays them. They says, right, rest on this week because they Six Nations next week. At what point do the Six Nations as a body say to the professional English clubs, the other nations need the right to be able to buy their players after that game? Again, the only way out of this I can see is, uh, is CVC having a stake in the Six Nations, which I can't... I, can't remember if it's been announced or not. I mean, we've been talking about it for two years as if it's as if it's happened, and I think it has. So CVC having a stake in the Six Nations, having a big stake in the Premiership, having a stake in the Pro 14. Now, what that enables you to do, whether or not a British and Irish league happens or not, they will want, when they get proper control of, of the sport, they will want uh, to not have club rugby playing at the same time as international. No, because, because why would you? Because it is it is mental. Like we've, we've spoken about this so many times. Like imagine, you know, this weekend England were playing Spain, and you know Man City had was still was still playing in the Premier League or in the FA Cup or something. It would be absolutely mad, um, and it, you know it can't carry on that way. And so the the only reason it's not going to come about because of any um, any benevolence or any desire for fair competition. It will come about because there is someone who wants to see the quality of the competition be as good as possible. Mm. And in a way, that's why the World Cup is so good, is because you have a proper run where teams have you know have their squads for for months on end before going into the World Cup, and you end up with brilliant quality rugby and high intensity and very few dead rubbers and that's kind of what you want you know that's what you want the six nations to be you don't yeah. want club rugby and and likewise you would if you if you have the six nations at that level and you're cbc you want the premiership or the anglo welsh premiership or the british and irish league or even just the premiership and the pro 14 to still be of the highest possible caliber and it can't be when you've got half the squad away with with internationals um, or you're having to rest players because of yeah. because of workload. It just it just doesn't make any sense. No, I mean, well, that's an organisational issue which is like in flux and constantly being yeah. discussed. Because not only is it uh, 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 in terms of the competitions marrying up, it's also in terms of the hemispheres marrying up, which yeah. makes it really difficult for rugby union to sort that out. But my my argument really is just fairness. It's you know whatever. CVC or whatever situation arises in terms of, you know, the order of the season at the moment, it's, it doesn't feel, you know, like I say, Welshman's chip it, it, definitely playing a part, but it, once you've got your two best Scottish players down there as well, and they both played yesterday, or Friday night, I think, against mm. Bath, uh, it, does, it doesn't, it, it just, it's just not cricket. It, it, no, you know. And, but I don't, um, I don't think fairness it's, comes into it. Do you know what I mean? Like from from the did, well, your your favourite saying is they got to get their pound of flesh because the, these players like uh, Dan Biggers on like a half a million pound a year or whatever. Yeah, but, but that's and again, that's, you. That's not by you. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Murph, that's that's not me saying that's right. That's me saying no, I know. That's no. what that's what the club chairman. That's the, their attitude. Yeah, that's their yeah. attitude, and that that's why the WIU have the options to say, well, whatever it costs. 
you know, he's carrying a niggle or, or we think we need him fresh. Because say, uh, say if he did play this weekend, in fairness, Northampton have been good with him because they haven't played him in between and they, God, do they need him in these games because they're using George Furbank at outside half. Uh, it's not working. Yeah. Uh, uh, and they've been good and they've, they've left him out. But it, say if they say, well, you know, like today, they, was it today? Northampton and uh, Harlequins? Yeah. They would have won that game with Dan Bigger playing 10. So if Northampton said, well, stuff this, we're going to have to play him. What if we're playing France? So that would have been a six-day turnaround. And what if our next game was France away? Yeah. But there's got to be, from if the Six Nations are the premier competition in this part of the world, there's got to be some organisational side. There's got to be some fairness to ring out. Because, so what if like Scotland would play in England on a on a grand uh, triple crown decider next week, mm. and Johnny Gray and Ali uh, Ali Hogg, <laughs> Stuart Hogg. There was just, an Ali Hogg, wasn't there? Yeah, I know that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, what if they've just played them? You know, the weather was nice all over the country, so there was open games of rugby. What if it was like a up your jumper game, mm. and Johnny Gray's absolutely exhausted from making his usual thirty five tackles a match? And then he goes into a triple, triple ground decider against England, which is the country which has made him play six days earlier. Like it, the fairness is, is there's got to be, like you say, uh, you, you're right. The organisation might work out that it doesn't become an issue, but if it if it stays like this for any number of seasons, it, it's just it's just not cricket, is it? It's, no, it's, it's not. Something, something is off. But but the whole the whole sport is riddled with self interest. You know, we, this brings yeah, us full, yeah. this brings us full circle back to what we started talking about. Um, and the only way it's going to change is from an organisational point of view. And the only way that's going to change is because there's more money to be made. Um, and you know, that's that's the only thing I can see forcing a change in the the ridiculous calendar that we that we're faced with every season. And you know, the players have to go out there and and play it. And you know, it's it's, it's actually not dangerous. Yeah, but there's actually profit to be made for Northampton because they didn't play Dan Bigger today. For That's true, reason. yeah. Well, they could have said, oh, we're playing him and had the money. Yeah. <laughs> if there was an agreement in place, they could have had, I don't know how much it would cost. I don't know what they well, what the RFU were playing, paying the clubs for that agreement. But if they just said, oh, yeah, we're playing him, they could have had their cash off the mm -hmm. WIU and then gone ahead with George Furbank, which is what they ended up doing anyway. So this, it could actually be in their, you know, could actually be in the club's favour to have it. A lot of them, uh, Louis Samet didn't play. Well, they could, they could, they could have been paid for him not to play. Yeah, That's what I'm getting at. So yeah, no, I get, I, I completely get it. I just think again, you know, would the would the Welsh Rugby Union have money to do that? Not at the moment. Um, no, 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 exactly. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I can see it coming as a longer term change, but I think in the the next couple of seasons we might have to might have to put up with it but yeah it's a it's a far from ideal and certainly not a, a fair scenario um mm. so if we're saying we're resting toby which i would definitely be doing uh you know certainly certainly wouldn't be starting him but to be honest i'll be tempted to rest him completely mm. uh who plays eight then i mean i like i said earlier i was in, i was impressed with wainwright at eight for uh for the dragons i thought he was so much more involved in the game obviously he's a um, he was released from the squad wasn't he to play he was released to play yeah yeah Maybe that was the idea. I don't know. Um, well, it's him or it's him or Josh Navidi, isn't it? So, yeah, and I mean, Navidi is just so cru crucial to the back row that um, even if you're picking him, I wouldn't be picking him at eight. I think that, no. he, you know, I'd be tempted to pick him and pick him at six because that's the position that he's going to play against France. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that 
not that playing six at international rugby is an, is an easy ride, but I just think it's one less complication than asking him to do all the carrying from the base of the scrum and, and everything else that goes with it. So I'd be I'd be very tempted to go with Wainwright at eight based on yeah, based on the look, we know we know he's good enough as an international as an international player. The problem is, is there's just a lot of flankers playing better than him at the moment. Um so that, I don't know that move that move to eight might might turn out to be inspired, to be fair. Mm. Yeah, the thing with going back to Josh is he is shorter minutes. Yeah, he is. So I think he probably does have to play at least some part against Italy. And the other thing, of course, is I wouldn't, if I uh, if I could help it, I mean, I, I'm not Wayne, clearly not Wayne Pivak, but I wouldn't make too many changes. No, I wouldn't. So if you're resting Toby Fallot, you, you probably wouldn't want to change much more in the back row outside of that. And I, I, I possibly would rest Alan Wynn, but... Um, not many more. I think they'd be the only two for me. Mm. I think that would be it. I'd, I'd be tempted to go with the same front row, keep momentum. I'd yeah, I'd make the one change. I'd leave Adam Beard in there because he's playing very well. I'd bring Corey Hill in for for Alan Wynn because I mean, obviously he's not Alan Wynn, but you, you've you know, in my opinion, he's the you know he's the ne- he's the next best uh, the next best second row in in Wales. I think he's proven to be a top international player. I think you, you bring him in, he'd be desperate to. You know, desperate to to put in a big performance and, and get a start for the final round. But yeah, back row. I think I'd probably do. Yeah, I'd probably just bring in Wainwright, and then obviously Hardy's an enforced change. Yeah. So is Thomas actually fit though? I don't know. There's a lot of rumblings that he's going to be, um, but it's mm. a risk off a hamstring injury to mm. to bring him straight back in at nine. Um, so again, we're changing we're changing nine again. Um, well, but only Gareth Davis, you know, yeah. starts instead of being on the bench. And it's just a matter of whether they risk Thomas or Lloyd Williams is on the bench. So it's not, it's not I mean, it's enforced, but it's not a massive, it's not a massive upheaval. No, you're right. But I, I, yeah, I think it it probably is Gareth Davis still the next cab off the rank, isn't he? So yeah, you, you get him in there. And I think even if Thomas is fit, I would be tempted to bench him and bring him on for you know for 20 25 minutes um rather than starting him i think that would probably be the the better scenario and and then hopefully you know hopefully you've got a, a nice selection headache for the for the final fixture yeah i mean are france on course to be able to play next weekend don't know simply don't know um i mean even if they are at the moment god knows what's going what might happen in the week so um <laughs> Yeah, I've kind of given up given up predicting on that front. Mm. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see, you know, to see what happens. Because I think in amongst all of the all of the noise uh, after Wales versus England, of which we were making a lot of it, um, <laughs> of that you know, obviously France. Did, it's not like France played and lost that weekend. They didn't have a. They didn't end up fulfilling their fixture. So it's. I don't know. You know, like we're saying, it, France is. It's they're such a good team that when they get out there and play again, I think that it's going to be um, I don't know there, there could be a bit of a backlash there. I think and they're they're kind of ready to to completely unleash. Yeah, uh, the the risk is now is a little bit undercooked. Possibly, not yeah. Since the second round, but is, uh, England away they got, aren't they? Mm. I mean that's so, I mean that is such a win-win game for some neutrals that game. So. I mean, it, it, it's talk hypotheticals. If England lose that game, 
mm. as well. That means they've got Ireland away left or Ireland at home left. Ireland away. Yeah. They could theoretically lose to Ireland away. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then, so where, where does, at what point does the calling for Eddie's head come in? Because I call, I personally call for his head after the first match. <laughs> when Scotland beat him, I, sh- I put Eddie out <laughs> on Twitter, obviously. But, uh, you know, it, 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 we're getting into those realms because, I mean, I don't know if you were watching BT Sport this afternoon, but um, Austin Healy and, and Delalio are there openly critical of Eddie's selections and uh, and their style of play and everything else. And the Sam Simmons situation, which is yeah. mental, probably gets into every other team, possibly not in the French team, but probably gets into most teams in the tournament. And he, won't, he can't even get in the squad, you know, the whole, not, not just the 23, but the whole squad he can't get in. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, I'm not being funny, but and you know, generally speaking, I do rate Eddie Jones as a coach. You know, you you look at his career, his career record; it's pretty impressive. But yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no way England should be should be losing five games with uh, losing four games with that squad, or even three games. Mm. Um, you know, they they've got so much strength in depth, and well, like Alex Dombrand would get in most squads. I think he would. Yeah, you know, it's. Um, it's just it's just not firing for them, is it? And like we like like you said right at the start, um, the style of rugby they're playing is so restrictive that if you can match it, they've they've proven that they've got nothing else up their sleeve, and or certainly not prepared to to try and um, and pull anything else out of their sleeve. So they've become you know a, a very a very predictable side and. Yeah. You know, they're just the, the results and the expectation in England is quite rightly very, very high. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. It's I don't know whether I don't know whether you would uh, whether you would sack him or not. But you certainly got to feel that pressure. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's sacking, but I mean, when is his contract? Because he extended after the World Cup, did he? For it two did years? was it was it a two year thing though? Was it? I don't think the I don't think. I don't know if they went straight another four years. I don't think they did. But, I'm going um, to have a look while we're uh, while we're talking. But uh, I mean, no, he did actually to 2023. Oh really? Yeah. Well, his stock was. Re- I mean, he probably negotiated a good a good deal as well because he just of he did. Yeah. Smashed it's the ball back yeah. and then and then had a flat day in the final. So, um, well, he, I my my. As an outsider looking in, my whole thing is he's been too faithful to the World Cup squad. Yeah, he's tried to stick to that squad at every opportunity, if possible. And um, I mean, there's some positions where he haven't got many options, like scrum half. We covered before. There's just not any scrum halves coming, English scrum halves coming through for him to choose from. There's loads of other, there's other players knocking around. He brought the. Uh, I know. Uh, listen, a lot of his problems would go away if Manu Tuolagi was fit. Yeah, it would. whenever they ran out of ideas, they could just give it to Tuolagi and start. But I'm not. Game. But I'm not being funny. If your game plan as the head coach of England is reliant on Manu Tuolagi being fit, yeah, I know exactly. You're, you're, you're in. You're in problems because as brilliant a player as he is, he's never fit. You know, he's been. He's been. His entire career <laughs> yeah. has been blighted by injury. You know, so you, you've never been able to rely on that. No, I, well, they kind of picked in some regards a like for like in uh, Paolo Adogu. No, they haven't. They haven't even put yeah, him in the say twenty three. No, sniffing the game, is it? Yeah. But he's a kind of a player you could say, okay, I've run out of ideas, give it to this animal outside me, and then 
he gets over the game line and you start again and you know and just go from there which is basically what they do to Alagi but I, I I don't know I don't I'm not sure they know where they're going at the moment because as has always been the case of them if you match their set piece and match them up front there's not a lot of plan B the and more the more I think about final it. and in other games where they've lost the more I think about it, the more I think that this whole Saracens affair has had a massive impact on them. And, mm. you know, the even the World Cup final, that this the Saracens story broke on like the Tuesday after the World Cup final. So they must have they must have known in the week leading up to the game, yeah. which you know, which is was going to unsettle them. Well, and that was managed, yeah. That was definitely yeah, managed. That break. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely must have been. And then following on from that, you know, they obviously, you know, we had a freakish Six Nations. Um, last year that was split over the course of the year. Um, but, you know, they got out completely outplayed by France in the first game. And then after that, there was that freakish game against Scotland in the in the howling wind. Um, what else happened? Oh, they, yeah, they overpowered Ireland at Twickenham. Uh, they, they snuck past us at Twickenham. It was a, a tight game on paper uh, mm-hmm. on the scoreline. Um, which begs the question why the hell I was predicting them to win a Grand Slam at the start. <laughs> um, but I think I just thought that there was too much quality in that side to continue playing. In Poorly, yeah. 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 And, um, yeah. And yeah, you're right. The more you think about it, the more you think there's something not right. And I just think that, again, where I thought that the players at Saris would benefit from having plenty of time off, they've obviously not. I mean, Owen Farrell was in the worst form of his life. Uh, I, I still think Itoji's playing very, very well. You know, I know he came in for some stick last week, but well, listen, you play mostly, like him, you'll pick, you'll pick up penalties on games like that. Most of those penalties he got done for last week, he would have got away with at Twickenham. Yeah, he would have. You yeah, definitely would. got away with all those at Twickenham and be man of the match. And but because yeah, he's uh, got picked up on what he normally does and gets away with, suddenly he's hopeless. But he, you know, he's just the same player he always is. Yeah, and uh, you know, but I mean, even like J- Jamie George doesn't look quite the impactful player that he is you know I think he's I think he's, a, I think he's a class player but he's he's not looked quite the same who else have I missed out of the series and Billy you know well both the Napoleons have been yeah. off it so yeah it's I, I don't know the, the more I think about it the more I think that having you know when you are that reliant on a core of players from one club and they've gone through that upheaval and then just don't play it's it's having a big effect but yeah. that's, that's up to Eddie to manage and pick players who are playing and inform. Yeah, well, well they're, they're reliant on, uh, as you say, that core of players from one club, but then that also makes them reliant on that club's playing style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't necessarily translate to the international level because international level, all the packs are strong as well. Mm. <laughs> so you can't bully you can't bully the opposition up front until you get your own way and then fling it out. You, well, you've got to it. be able to play other types of rugby as well, and that, that's where they... You know, unless unless all this Arsenal's playing on the top of their game, they're not going to be able to impose their, that style of rugby on everyone. So, yippee! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it is good to it is good to end on a <laughs> on a high point, though, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, Eddie out. Who knows? Uh, let's get a prediction though, Murph. I mean, it, a comfortable win against Italy. Yeah, I mean, uh, as long as you don't make make too many changes, this is the uh, God. I think. Um, did we play Italy first in the last Grand Slam, 2019? We um we had the first or second up with second, loads of changes. We had, yeah, we had the freakish game against France where that's right. Yeah, we shouldn't have won, and we did. We shouldn't have won, and we did. Um, and then, and then yeah, we rang the changes and played and terrible. Then passed them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if he doesn't make too many changes, and I think we win comfortably. 
he won't. I, I'm convinced of it. He won't want anything to upset the the momentum that because realistically, you know, it's still a bloody tall order to win a Grand Slam because you've got France, who are the best team last. Like you say, there's there's things that that might come in. Well, then play it, you know, they haven't played a game, but exactly it's a big ask, but at least we get to have the ask. Yeah. <laughs> we get to have that big day. We you know, we're gonna beat Italy, come what may. And then last, well, depending on the scenarios of the France Scotland, you could win the title, yeah. Yeah, but it kind of spoils our well, if we win, there's nothing there's nothing that fi- that fiction makes no difference, if you know what I mean. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, we, we still get, as a nation, we still get last day of the tournament, Grand Slam on the line. No one will be there to see it. It'll be like right. stuff in England. Yeah, It'll be like yeah. stuff in England last week. Go on, Murph. You, you're in a terrible... You're, it's like talking to me this week. <laughs> a terrible pessimistic. We, yeah, we, we should have had Yestin on to really level things up. <laughs> I know. But, um, yeah, I think um, I think the, the, the difference between that Gatland selection in 2019... And what Pivac's got now is obviously Gatlin can afford to make those ring those changes. You know, I know, I know it was a you know a laboured victory, but they never really looked like losing. And I think Liam Williams kind of got us out of the doo doo in that game. Just made a few, a few uh, catches from high balls and ended up making thirty yards of the pitch. And yeah, there was a try, a little a little chip kick over try. Was it Owen Watkin or someone scored? I can't remember who chipped it. Maybe Anscombe. Um, I was too drunk to remember the details. Yeah, and I think yeah. So I mean, that game, you know, was it was a classic kind of Gatlin ringing the changes type thing. Yeah, I think that we can't do it all the time. Yeah, you, exactly. Bring the changes and play like strangers. Yeah, all the time um, in the Gatlin. People people tend to forget when when they like people like me actually slagging off Wayne Pivac. Forget how many times we were flat as a witch's tit against uh, and and uh, and uh, Gatlin's regime. Loads of times, loads of times. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, but I think you know, look with Pivac, he just needs to beat Italy, and he's four from four. Then if you even if we lost fifty nil to France, the campaign yeah. would be a success. Triple okay. crown, four wins. Yeah. Um, so you well, I know. think he said. I think you said uh, in our preview that Wales need three wins. Yeah, and they've got them. They've got yeah, them. You know, them. Just three wins. They've got a triple crown, and you know his, con- his contract is extended. <laughs> it's hard. You know, it's hard to turn around to a coach who's won a triple crown and say, "Sorry, mate, we don't oh, think no, you're exactly." And um, yeah. but again, still for me, it's what follows that's important. It's like what happens. Yeah, and I I should correct myself because last week I was banging on about. Um, uh, he hasn't reinvented the wheel. We've just got a, a steady set piece, a steady defence and a steady goal kicker and then you're competitive. But actually, having watched the game again, I don't know how any other people have watched the game multiple times. <laughs> I have. The the build-up to Liam Williams' try, which followed the knock-on that wasn't a knock-on by Louis Rees-Hammett, the build-up to that was really interesting in that we had a little pod of Tipperick and Falatau on the right wing that's right, yeah. Twice and both times they kind of caused problems, but just kind of kept out. And then we came back left again, and that's when the kick through by uh, someone. I think it was it was first half. I don't know who the kick through was. It oh, was, it was uh, Josh Adams. Yeah, it was Josh, Josh Adams, Adams kicked yeah. it through. And it, anyway, long story short, Liam Williams scored from that. But it, that build-up play is the green shoots of something. Hopefully something really interesting because, like I say, I, I poo-pooed him last week. I just said, "Well, you know, we've just got our set piece together." Your exact know. words were, "He's not, <laughs> not, the, not the second coming <laughs> of Carwin James yet." Yeah, he's not. Well, you know, he, I don't think he is the second coming of Carwin James, but there are green shoots of him being something 
outstanding because that I don't know how many times teams are going to fall for putting your flanker than your number eight on the wing mm. but it was just it, it, I mean it was very John Barkley type burn at Scarlet's very um, it was and particularly but lovely that, to see all the same that, uh, yeah it was I mean that carry from because I saw that same clip doing the rounds on Twitter and, and that um, obviously I, you know, I couldn't be asked to watch the whole game again but I, w- I will do after a few <laughs> years I'm sure um, but yeah because it is it's great link up play and Toby makes some great yards but then, it, yeah, then it does feel like we go backwards, actually. And it was a, a kick, you know, like we, we kicked away. Yeah, yeah we, we kicked away afterwards. But you're right. There, there's definitely there's definitely some signs in there. But it's all it's all how you build on it now. So, um, yeah, we'll see. But I think that I think that I think it will be a win against Italy. And I think it will be hopefully, a, you know, hopefully a convincing win. But um, yeah, which leave, which leaves us on for the for the jam slam, as, uh, <laughs> as people have been calling it. <laughs> it's a good name. But yeah, jammy or not, you know, it's, uh, I mean, uh, Grand Slams are just special things, aren't they? They're, all, they're in the record books. You know, when, when, when we're ancient, like no one remembers, you know, when we had a Grand Slam in 1908, <laughs> no one remembers if we had a lucky penalty in the last minute against Scotland away to win that game. It's just a Grand Slam. in the To, win that, to win that game 1-0. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well that's, that's that's something to look forward to Murph anyway uh, yeah. yeah if it's in the record books it's in the record books but that will yeah. that will bring us to a conclusion for this week thanks Murph for uh, uh, for taking us on a, a wonderfully emotional journey um, which <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed and uh, yeah a big thanks to everyone who's listened as well uh, thanks to Gareth Davis from the Cardiff Blues uh, visually impaired rugby side it was great to chat to him too and of course, a thanks as always to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. You can get your hands on some top quality coffee at socoffeetrades.co.uk. Right, we'll be back to chat rugby with you next week. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.